Good morning to you. I am Elizabeth. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and occasionally they let me talk. So I'm excited to be with you this morning. Um, And in order to build my confidence up here, um, I need to find my people. So I'd just like to ask, how many firstborns do we have in the room this morning? All right. There you are, my people. And the rest of you are also welcome this morning. Um, I was born first in my family, and I was predestined by nature and nurture to be a good kid. You know what I'm talking about? So take a look. It's coming. It's coming. There I am. Kindergartner, thank you. Thank you for that awe. Um, That is an Izod polo shirt for those of you 80s kids in the room. Um, The pleated skirt, the saddle shoes. Um, My dad was the principal of my school. So, you know, yeah, thank you, for, thank you for your sympathy. And then he became the superintendent, even better. So I lived with the constant threat that, you know, any minor mistake would be easily reported from teachers to their boss. It wasn't, it did not help me to be cool, even though I was trying valiantly with my Izod shirt. Um, some might have rebelled in this situation, But I was determined to do two things in life. Number one, live by the rules. Number two, win. Do it better than everyone else. Yeah. Some of my current friends suggest that they wish that we were friends in school. I beg to differ. You probably wouldn't have liked me. You see, it started early. My mom would correct us kids, and I would helpfully defend my own, my own innocence to differentiate from the other sinners in our household. In school, one of my, in one of my more shining moments, I raised my hand and asked the teacher, are you really going to ask us on the final exam if we have read this 400-page dense textbook like you said? And she said, oh, thank you for reminding me. Yeah, there went my popularity. Teacher's pets are just not that popular. More significantly in my own experience, I lived with constant anxiety, wondering if I was good enough as a kid. I remember wanting to be the best at being a church kid, and I kind of had that whole look and attitude together. Um, I gave up secular music. Some of you remember throwing your your cassette tapes or breaking your CDs. Um, I did devotions like it was some sort of fitness routine. You know what I'm saying? I went to church multiple times a week. How many of you can remember the multiple times a week church? I mean, you guys have it easy these days. We had bunks, you know, in the back because we were always, always at church. And I was, I was good at this. But even with all of this, this church, all of this performance, I didn't feel secure in God. I always had this vague sense that I couldn't do enough. I knew also that envy and jealousy filled my heart when I compared myself to other people to see if I was good enough. My attitudes and my actions really showed that I had a heart problem, and I wasn't sure what to do about it. Goodness was something I was trying to manufacture by fulfilling a checklist of do's and don'ts. And this really can only have two results. A feeling of superiority when you judge that you are performing up to snuff and look down on the other sinners in the world. And the second option is you don't feel like you're performing up to snuff and you're filled with kind of this despair and insecurity like I'm not good enough. And I know that some of you may not 
connect with the overachiever part of my story. I mean, some of us are just born more annoying than others, you know? But I think all of us know what it is to compare ourselves to others, to try to fulfill expectations, and it leaves us with two not-so-great options, feeling smugly sure that we, are, we have it together or feeling insecure that we're never going to measure up. And all of that is self-focused. All of it keeps our eyes on ourselves. Galatians 5 is talking about virtues that are drastically and completely different from these ideas. They are character traits that make everyone around us better rather than put everyone down. The Holy Spirit creates these character traits so we can't take credit for them. So there is one kind of goodness that's sort of at the expense of other people, and that's created by the flesh operating system. And there's another kind of goodness that makes everyone better, and that comes from the spirit operating system. Do you remember from the last few weeks the analogy that Jared gave us? It's really been kind of helpful. He said that as we look at Galatians 5, and Paul's talking about living by the spirit or living by the flesh, we have the flesh operating system, like the software we're used to on our devices, and we have the spirit operating system, and we have to check out what's in charge in our lives. When the Spirit's in charge, our life flows from relationship with God, and we experience a new quality of life inside. Unfortunately, I think I'm a whole lot like the Galatian Christians, because I find living under the flesh operating system so much more natural than living under the Spirit operating system. In Paul's time, Galatia was full of different immigrants and different ethnic groups that are all mixed together in what's modern-day Turkey. And what happened was as each new group sort of came in and intermarried and became part of the mix, they added new gods to the religious landscape. And so they just added more and more. And people went around trying to, like, give the right gifts, do the right things so that they would satisfy the demands of all these gods. They hoped that if they offered different worship, if they followed the different superstitions, they would stay in good graces with all. They were always balancing a checklist of expectations, hoping that no one would get offended and that life would go well. And minus little statues in my life, I sometimes see myself in that picture, trying to balance everyone's expectations. Now, when the Galatians met Jesus, they encountered radical grace and acceptance from God. This was the God who gave his life for them, unlike every other demanding God that was added to their pantheon. This was the God who gave himself for them, and they didn't need to please anyone else. It was total radical news. And that changed their lives. And then Paul went on to plant another church, and the legalists came to town. They swooped in, and they added a long list of rules for external conformity so these new believers could be good enough. You know, Christians have to eat like this, talk like this, dress like this, do all of these things on the outside so that we will accept you because we are the judge of whether you are a real Christian or not. Now, some of you have met people like this, right? You've met people that want to judge based on the external rules and conformity. Sadly, all of this... All these rules, all these superstitions must have felt familiar to the Galatians. They were used to demanding gods that they'd served before. 
So suddenly their Christian faith was becoming a list of rules and demands and superstitions. And it must have felt really familiar because they fell right back into it, living by this fear that somehow they weren't going to please God and they weren't going to do enough. And that's where I see myself. It is so easy for me to get sidetracked and serve a smaller agenda than God's big purpose in my life, to serve other people and other things and other expectations. And I'm wondering if any of you have had that experience because slavery comes so naturally to us. That's why Paul has to say this so strongly in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that he set us free. And then I'm going to read verse 4 from the message because it gets in my business. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. Elizabeth, you can't both try to prove how good you are and rely on God's goodness at the same time. The flesh operating system is all that we've ever known. And so we easily trade one form of slavery for another. This reminds me of our one and only pet in the Sawchuck house. You see, we are pet impaired. I'm sorry to say. I am allergic to dogs. They give me hives. I get itchy eyes. I'm not a bad person, dog lovers. I'm just allergic, okay? And Rick is allergic to cats. He has the same experience, which leaves our kids feeling really unfairly conspired against. And so, in a fit of parental um, generosity, we decided to get a rabbit when they were preschoolers and adopt a rabbit from the petting zoo, actually. So we get this rabbit, and Katarina names the rabbit Clover. It's black and white. It's very soft. It's nice to kids. It was a superstar in our neighborhood. All the kids wanted to hold it for about two weeks. Then they were tired of it because rabbits really don't do anything except for eat and poop a lot. So after a couple of weeks, the rabbit's living in the backyard for another year or more. And the only person that has paying any attention to the rabbit is Rick, who is cleaning the cage and feeding it. But things kind of took a turn for the worse because the raccoons in the neighborhood discovered the rabbit And they couldn't get into the cage, so they would just shake it and terrorize the rabbit at night. We'd hear stuff going on and run outside. Now we have a rabbit with PTSD. (laughs) And we we open the cage, and the rabbit is, like, shaking in the back corner. So things were not going well for us with our rabbit. So Rick is like, we need to do something. Things can't go on, because he was the one feeding and cleaning. He says, I'm going to set the rabbit free. And I'm like, you're going to set the rabbit free. Shall we take bids on, take dibs on how long the rabbit's going to last? Ten minutes? Two hours? We lived on this green space with all kinds of critters who had already shown interest in the rabbit. And rabbits are not given a lot of defense mechanisms by nature. And so I, in my compassion, decided to put the rabbit on Craigslist and sell it, and someone else could have a bunny at Easter time. Hopefully, it would recover from the trauma that we had inflicted on it. So what's the point? I'm sure you're wondering that. The point is that, like Clover, some of us are not ready to deal with freedom. (laughs) Jesus sets us free, 
And we don't know what to do with it. So we find ourselves in another form of slavery. That is what happened to the Galatians. There are two common agendas that people live for and find themselves enslaved to. One is irreligion, living to please ourselves and to serve something besides God. I think this is easy for us to point our fingers at. When people live for pleasure, they find themselves caught in addictions to substance. Um, they find them, if, you, if you're living for yourself, your selfishness can take you places you never thought you would go and breaking the hearts of people around you. And I think it's a little bit easier for us to point out and say, that's not living for God. That's slavery. But the second one is more subtle. It's religion. Attempting to achieve moral superiority and earn approval from God or others. This might look like trying to become a super Christian, like my opening story about myself. Or it might be just general moral improvement. I notice a lot that there seems to be this sort of resume building about, on one side, being the ideal conservative citizen, or on the other side, being the ideal liberal citizen. But the idea is I do all these good things to show that I'm a good person to whatever circle that I want to impress. And things really haven't changed that much since Paul's time. There were the religious Jews who said, you do the works of the law and you accumulate righteousness like it's something that you own. These are, this is my righteousness that I did. And then there were the Greeks who were just focused on self-improvement. You know, they were going to build these virtues inside of themselves. The problem with all of this is it's all incredibly self-focused and really, you know, I may be busy with this, but it's not doing anything for you. And that is what Tim Keller has to say here. Sin and evil are self-centeredness and pride that lead to oppression against others. But there are two forms of this. One form is being very bad and breaking all the rules, and it's easy for us to pick out. And the other is being very good and keeping all the rules and becoming self-righteous. And that, too, leads to the oppression of other people. And this is not what Christ set us free for. He set us free for something so much bigger and better. He set us free for a purpose. Let's read Galatians 5, 13 to 18. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. I'm going to pull out three principles from that longer passage of Scripture. The first is God's purpose for your life. Some of you students might be wondering what's God's purpose for your life. Some of you seniors and everyone else in between might be wondering, God, what's your purpose for my life in this season? It's a great reminder because it's so succinct here. The entire law, the whole law, is summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If your life is a bow and arrow pulled back, 
The target that God wants you to hit is to love God and to love people. And the Bible defines that and shows us what it looks like. But the target is loving well. Now, believers get to do this in unlimited creative ways. There may be one target that we're all headed for, but we're all going to look a little bit differently, different getting there. It says, rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. It's not going to all look the same. It's going to be infinitely creative because just in this room with a couple hundred of us, you represent, every single one of you has a different mix of gifts and skills. There's no two people in this room that are exactly the same. And every single one of you is going to encounter many different opportunities and many different people, and they don't overlap of the places, it's got, the places and opportunities God's going to give you to love well this week. So there are creative ways to love. But if you find yourself missing the target of love, and haven't we all been there, you need to pay attention. This is a troubleshooting verse And Paul says, watch out, like trouble ahead. If you're biting and devouring each other, pay attention. Troubleshooting. You know, like when you get out the owner's manual or you contact IT and you try to figure out why something's not working right? This is a troubleshooting verse. This verse says, if you notice that in an area of your life, things are not working right, you need to pay attention. If you Galatians think you're spiritual and you're getting more religious all the time, but the result is that you are biting and devouring each other, competing and jealousy and envy, you have an area of your life that is not controlled by the Holy Spirit. Because our hearts and our attitudes will reveal if we're living in the spirit operating system. Have you had the experience of calling IT? I had to call Apple the other day because one of our iPhones wasn't working correctly. And this has happened to me before, but it's fresh in my mind. Um, You call up and they say, could you go to your systems page? And they ask you, could you read to me what operating system you're running? They don't want you to just tell them what you think you're running. They want you to go to the page and look. Because if you didn't get the recent downloads, there's a quick explanation. What's inside is causing what's outside. Now, I can just picture myself coming to God and saying, this area of my life is frustrating me so much. I'm experiencing unrest and arguments, and I don't know what's going on. And God's saying, could you please check to see what operating system you're running? And I say, who, me? I'm running the spirit operating system, you know? And God says, could you read to me what you're running? You know, I take a look in my heart, and I say, oh, Looks like I'm running the flesh operating system in this area of my life. Looks like the Holy Spirit is not in control in this area of my life. I'm living for something else. Because the point is this. What's inside will become evident on the outside. It reminds me about my grandmother. My grandmother was a teacher. And um, one year in elementary school, she was doing a very typical teacher thing where she had the kids plant beans in clear cups. You've seen this before, where the beans, they send down their roots, and the leaves unfurl, and kids get to see a seed that grows up into a plant. Well, she had one overachieving bean plant in the classroom window. It just was the jack and the beanstalk of bean plants. It was outpacing everything else, and she kind of thought that maybe she 
had an agricultural genius on her hands, you know? They were just modeling agriculture to the rest of the school. It was kind of amazing. And then one day, the school administrator stopped by and took a look at her front classroom window, and she said, he said, Mrs. Webb, do you know what you're growing in your classroom window? And it looked like this. Oh. Yep. And it was not legal. And it became evident that someone planted a seed that was not a bean seed, but was a marijuana seed in the classroom that was now displayed for the school to see. Yeah. What was on the inside became evident for everyone to see. Well, I've recently been taking a small group journey um, with some friends in the church, and we were asked to take an inventory of our heart and our relationships and look for problem areas. And I found something growing that didn't belong there. And it wasn't marijuana, just like to say. But I found some resentment and bitterness growing in my heart. And that wasn't part of the spirit operating system. When the Holy Spirit is in charge of my life, in charge of your life, things look different. Let's look at Galatians 5.22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. You can do as much of them as you want. That's what it looks like when the Holy Spirit's in charge. And God creates goodness in us. We're talking about goodness this morning. What is goodness? Goodness is a generosity of spirit. It's asking, what can I do to leave other people better? It is the opposite of envy and competition. And so the kind of goodness that really is more like self-righteousness is like the opposite of real goodness because real goodness isn't looking at making myself better and making myself look better. It's saying it's too busy imagining how I can serve you and make your life better. Goodness is doing what you were made to do. (coughs) The Greek word here describes function, not just form. There's another word that's just all about the externals. This word means this thing, this person does what they were made to do. Now, you thought that this coffee cup is sitting here because of my caffeine addiction, that I had to just bring my coffee up here just to get through the sermon. That that could be true, but I have something to tell you about this coffee cup. This coffee cup may not impress you. Maybe you don't like yellow. This coffee cup is just the right weight. It feels heavy in my hand, the way ceramic should, and it gets hot when I pour coffee into it in the morning. It is the right size because, you know, you don't want it to be too little because you drink it too fast or too much, and it gets cold, and you have to throw it out and start all over again. It has this slope so I can hold it like this and smell it as I wake up in the morning. And basically, this coffee cup does coffee right, okay? This coffee cup is what a coffee cup is meant to be. This is a good coffee cup. Good is doing what you were made to do. It's a willingness to treat people well, no matter what their response. When we're full of goodness, we don't just have to look good. 
We're not trying to be like someone else because we're too busy using our gifts and imagining ways to make life better for everyone around us. We treat people well no matter what their response is because we're not reacting to other people. We're living out who God made us to be. We're living out the goodness that he puts inside of us. I love, but I'm incredibly challenged by what Jesus has to say about this. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good and bad, the nice and nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. In a word, what I'm saying to you is grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way that God lives towards you. When I think about goodness, I think about my friend Priscilla Villarreal. She's been part of this congregation for much longer than I have. Now, Priscilla is good at feeding people. In fact, if Priscilla sees the food, she'll probably say, that's not going to be enough. I'm going to add meat to that meat so that no one goes away hungry. She will want your belly to be full and your heart to be full because she has a great gift of hospitality. In fact, at Christmas time, Priscilla and Cindy and Anita, her sister and her mom, made tamales for all of us. And if you missed that, I just would like to say that you should probably reevaluate your Christmas plans and do a better job next year. But on top of the way that she feeds us and loves us around here well, and I see many of you nodding, that wasn't enough for Priscilla because she realized that there are hungry people in this community. And 14 years ago, she was part of a group of people that helped to start the food bank that's still in operation outside. And you know why? Because she realized that there are really nice people in Hillsboro that are hungry. And she realized that there are not nice people in Hillsboro that are hungry. And God put within her gifts and skills and a heart to feed them. She feeds people's bodies and people's souls, and she is good at being Priscilla, at being the person that God made her to be. And you, you have opportunities to love well this week, at your kids' school, in your management work group, with your coworkers who can be very difficult, and with your relatives who are, you're hoping don't call, and with that neighbor who leaves the trash on the curb, God's put a hundred unique opportunities in front of us to love well this week and to let goodness show. God creates faithfulness in response to his faithfulness. Psalm 118.1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his faithful love endures forever. There it is, love, faithfulness, goodness. You really can't split them up. They're all present in God and they grow together inside of us as we know him. God's character is that he always keeps his word to you. He always keeps his word. 
His ability, excuse me, our ability to keep our word stems from God's faithfulness. This is not just onerous obligation. When I think of onerous obligation, I think of my children. Not that they are an obligation, but every day they come in and they are shocked that they again have homework. I feel like, do we have to go over this again? You go to school, you have homework, you have chores. And I think they feel that someday they'll grow up and nothing will be required of them. That that's apparently what my life is like, right? And I have to remind them, no, you must do this. You must do it again tomorrow. Yes, it's really not going away. But again, I feel like that sometimes. I wake up in the morning like, people want something from me? What? Things are required of me? People are waiting and counting on me? So we have an option. We can mope about faithfully keeping our word, or we can do it with joy with the Holy Spirit's power. And that's really what faithfulness is. And I see so much faithfulness as I look around this room. I see you serving at the schools where you committed. This week, Rick got to go in and read for quite a while at Mooberry to celebrate Dr. Seuss's birthday. And I only know about that because I live with my husband, Rick. But many of you did something similar to that. You served in classrooms. You served kids this week. You kept your word. You give in the pattern that God asks you to give, even when times are lean and it's not easy to keep your commitment. You care for your aging parents and relatives, and that's not the type of thing that anyone gives you a thank you note for. You advocate for special needs children that are in your homes. You show up at church in small group when it's dark and rainy outside because you realize that you bring something to the community. It's not just about what you receive. You serve Sunday after Sunday at eKids. This is the service where we get lots of people that served at the first service and you're here now and we're grateful. You serve in the food bank because children and families are hungry and you do what you said with joy. And we don't always feel inspiration about all of these things, but we let the Holy Spirit give us faithfulness to keep going. You see, faithfulness I look at kind of like a checking account. Now, at least in an ideal world, you make a deposit in a checking account. It might be your paycheck or your retirement payment, but you, you have to deposit money into it. And then you're able to write checks. You pay your bills. We, some, we use our debit card for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about. Um, we're able to draw money out. And I look at faithfulness like this every morning when I wake up, no matter how bad of a day it is, God has deposited so much faithfulness into my life. The sun comes up. I'm given breath. Jesus died to pay for all of my sin and shame. I've given new life in him. And I experience so much of a deposit of the faithfulness of God that I will have enough to give others faithfulness as I have opportunity to throughout the day. And that same is true for you as well. So it's not dependent on the other person deserving faithful behavior. This is where the rubber meets the road because it means keeping our word when it hurts. Recently, I, of course, got a chance to put this into practice. It's not the opportunity that you're necessarily looking for. I own a business. It's a medical equipment business. And um, I'd been waiting for a year for one particular large deal to come through. And I wanted to buy some valuable equipment. And sometime throughout the year, another competitor got involved in the hospital said, well, when we release this equipment, we're going to split it between the two of you, which sounded like it could be difficult, but that was fine. So I was continuing to wait, and one day I got an email that said it was time to pick up the equipment 
And here was the kicker. My competitor had split it and taken what he thought was his and left me what he thought was mine. Not a good sign. And then as I found out the details, he'd taken 75% of the equipment and informed people that I didn't want it and, and left me a small amount. And so, you know, I'm at home and I am just ready to knock some heads together and get life back fairer and get someone to make this right and demand and berate my hospital contacts that they allowed this to happen. They made it unfair. And happily for me, for once in my life, I took a pause before I picked up the phone. I can't say that that's happened every time. You know what the Holy Spirit reminded me of? He reminded me of God's faithfulness to me. He reminded me of the, the numerous times that he has provided for our family, often through our business, that things surprisingly fell into our laps and God's, God blessed us and he met every one of our needs. And all of a sudden, I wasn't quite as mad as I was before. And he reminded me that not everything rides on this one deal that happened on this day that, you know, it kind of felt so important. Like, if we don't get this, things are not going to be okay. And so when I picked up the phone, I was still wanting to set things right, but the urgency had decreased by a couple of notches so that I could actually treat people well. And I tried to assume the best as I unwrapped what happened. And, of course, my customer had not meant to cause me any harm. And I was able to have the opportunity to pay them what I agreed to pay them, even though the terms had changed quite a bit, Um, at least pay them well for what, what was left, which hurt a little bit, especially when the comment was made that I was paying so much better than the other person. But God again reminded me of his faithfulness to me, that I wasn't reacting to what other people were doing. I was acting out of his faithfulness. Now, The interesting thing about this is it's actually good. It makes good business sense because the relationship with the customer is always more important than what's right in front of you. But I'm telling you, on my own, my emotions would have taken over, and I might have done irrevocable damage to my relationship with that client because I would berate them for allowing this deal to go south. But because the Lord helped me for once to take a pause And remember his faithfulness. He brought just a little bit of faithfulness out from inside of me. And so we really want to pause and let our word mean something. If we're going to be faithful about it, we need to think about what what we're saying. I'm learning to not be so quick to commit. I am a people pleaser by nature. And I need to be willing to disappoint people by saying no. So it really means something when I say yes. And that requires focusing on pleasing the Holy Spirit rather than focusing on pleasing others. It requires that pause. So if I feel unsettled, that I don't say, yes, absolutely, I've got it covered, when maybe I don't. That pause so that God can bring faithfulness out of me. In my own life, the spirit operating system took over when I knew how completely loved and forgiven that I was. I didn't need to strive to please God and please people. Every once in a while, though, well, frequently still, the flesh operating system takes over. And that, of course, happened this week as I was preparing to talk to you. I had an area of my life where I was just feeling like everybody was doing me wrong. 
You know, I just thought, I am working so hard here, and I am not getting the recognition I, re- I deserve. And in fact, I am just angry now that I am not getting the recognition because I am working hard here, people. And I had to stop and realize something's going on here because I am not experiencing goodness and faithfulness. I'm experiencing contention. And the Holy Spirit began to put his finger on the flesh operating system in my life. I was living for that quick fix of approval from others. And when I didn't get it, I was angry and resentful. Maybe somebody else in this room has had that experience at work or even at home. I was not experiencing God's big purpose for my life. I was living for something much smaller, and therefore I wasn't experiencing his goodness and his faithfulness. So if you find yourself exhausted in any area of your life by trying to be good enough to meet expectations as a parent, as an employee, as a friend, as a relative, you might need what I needed. And that is a hard reset to the spirit operating system. Hard resets when we shut the whole thing down and try this again. And there's three steps to this hard reset. First of all, we admit that we've been serving another agenda. We've been serving a small agenda, something smaller than God's big purpose for us, and it's making us small. Secondly, we go back to our purpose, our purpose to love God and love others. Third, we go back to being loved because I just want to remind you that all of this flows out of relationship with God. All of this starts with his goodness and faithfulness that we can experience every day. You are free, friends. You don't have to live to please people and earn approval. You only answer to the God who created you to experience his goodness and his faithfulness. And when he's in charge... We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us to do long ago. His goodness sets us up to walk out goodness in our own lives. So we're gonna, we're going to conclude this morning. Lord, thank you for your freedom. Thank you for your blood that ends our obligation and begins our freedom. In Jesus' name. Marley's going to